This hour of Spears and Ali on ESPN Tucson is brought to you by Tucson Federal Credit Union and the Volpe team at Nova Home Loans. Now back to Spears and Ali on 1490 AM, 94.9 HD Channel 4 ESPN Tucson. That's right, baby. Whole lot of love from Las Vegas. Welcome to hour number two of Spears and Ali presented by Tucson Federal Credit Union and the Volpe team at Nova Home Loans. Huge thanks to our great sponsors here on ESPN Tucson. Hour number two of Spears and Ali. Got one more hour left. If you want to call into the show and talk Arizona Wildcats with us, talk Pac-12 tournament, whatever it is that you want to discuss, 719-1490 is that phone number. And, of course, if you're calling in from out of town, make sure you put a 520 area code in front of that. Don't forget to also subscribe, rate, and comment the Spears and Dolly podcast. Uh, if you miss any of the show or, you know, you want to run it back because, you know, we have some great interviews. Uh, earlier this week, uh, we spoke with uh, a number of amazing people. We had Freddie Coleman, ESPN national radio host. We had him on to talk about Lamar Jackson and Aaron Rodgers. We also had Tommy Lloyd on. I know the shelf life of that interview is uh, expired because we had Tommy Lloyd on leading up to the Pac-12 tournament. But, hey, we talked about his pickleball game. We talked about Kylan Boswell's maturation. We talked about a number of things. So we take great pride in bringing on notable guests here on Spears and Ali. Uh, we also had the, the Borgay takeover earlier this week in studio, the Borgay siblings talking about their athletic prowess. So it was a great first week on the morning shift I'm very excited for this new journey here on ESPN Tucson. Spears and Ali, we're the only morning sports talk show in Southern Arizona. So we're going to have a lot of fun. Uh, We're in a class of our own. Uh, We love what we do. And the cool thing about having the morning show is that you get to come on the radio airwaves just hours after a big-time basketball game like we saw last night at T-Mobile Arena in Las Vegas at the Pac-12 tournament. So we're talking Arizona Wildcats basketball to begin hour number two here. Again, 719-1490 is that phone number if you want to call into the show. It was a, it's been a weird week because you know not only are we making the transition from 3 to 6 in the afternoons to 7 to 9 in the mornings, but this is the first time that Spears and Ali – has ever done a show beyond state lines. We've always done remote shows, but we've also been in Tucson. It's a lot easier to do a remote show in Tucson, uh, but in Las Vegas, uh, we cannot thank our Lotus family up here in the Sin City enough for allowing us to use their studio space early in the morning. Uh, We're at ESPN Las Vegas doing the show live out of Sin City, and it's uh, relatively quiet in these hallways here at Lotus in Las Vegas, but they got us all set up, the engineers, the producers, everyone involved here in Las Vegas at Lotus has been amazing. So thank you once again for allowing Spears and Ali to rent your space for a, a couple of days. But uh, going back to the, the game last night that we saw against the Stanford Cardinal, what a win for the Arizona Wildcats. Uh, Arizona, last time they played against Stanford in Palo Alto, the Cardinal just clobbered the Arizona Wildcats in points in the paint. Brandon Angel, their star forward, he said that the game in Stanford, attacking the rim, getting Azulus to Bellis into foul trouble, 
and putting a lot of pressure on the front court to make defensive plays, they took that personally. And so they made it an assignment to attack, attack, attack in Palo Alto. And I was wondering how Arizona was going to counter that. Um, And I think that they completely flipped the script. Because although Stanford, I mean, give them credit, they were 48% from three-point range. Of course, Stanford, not really the best three-point shooting team, but in a typical every team against Arizona fashion, they shot lights out. They were 48% from three-point range, 49% from the field. But Arizona was just a whole notch better. The Wildcats shot 64% from the field. They scored 95 points. That's the third most points Arizona has scored in a Pac-12 tournament game in program history. It's the most points they've scored in a conference tournament game since 2017 when guys like Lori Marketing and Alonzo Trier were playing for the Arizona Wildcats. So it was a high-scoring game for Arizona. They win 95-84. to They avenge their loss earlier this season against the Cardinal in Palo Alto. But going back to my point about paint points, Stanford, they had a 42-24 to advantage in that category. So they were plus 18 against Arizona in points in the paint. We talk about Azulis Tabellas. Umar Balo, one of the best front courts, if not the best front court in college basketball. Them getting outscored in paint points, but minus 18, that's something you don't see with this year's Arizona team. But a big reason why Stanford was able to have an advantage in that category was because they got Azulis Tubelis in a foul trouble. Tubelis got four fouls, only had four points, his only single-digit scoring performance of the season, and they kept him on the bench. Tubelis only played 17 minutes in that first matchup against the Stanford Cardinal. Well, the second time around in Las Vegas, a.k.a. McHale Super North, because we all know that McHale North is the arena up in Tempe, McHale Super North had a bunch of Arizona fans, and it never fails to amaze me the number of people from Tucson, Arizona, that make the trip up to Las Vegas to watch the Arizona Wildcats. Arizona has one of the most rabid fan bases in college basketball, but, again, it never fails to amaze me to see the number of fans that come out and support the Arizona Wildcats. So, in a somewhat home game for the Arizona Wildcats, Tabellus was amazing. 9 for 12 from the field, 20 points, 8 rebounds, and 4 assists, albeit he did commit 5 turnovers. And uh, points off turnovers, Stanford had 20 of them. Same with Arizona. Uh, but Stanford, you know, they capitalized off of the... Uh, 11 turnovers that Arizona forced. But Tubelis was able to bounce back. He had a great game. Umar Balo, he had 24 points, 6 rebounds. So between Tubelis and Balo, they had 44 points. They were 19 for 25 from the field. So not only did they score a lot, but they were efficient. They dominated Stanford in points in the paint. Remember, minus 18 in Palo Alto. What did they do last night in Las Vegas? Arizona, they were, they held a 54 to 22 advantage in points of the paint. So they went from minus 18 to plus 32. Stanford shot lights out, but Arizona completely flipped the script on the Stanford Cardinal, clobbering them. They avenged their loss from earlier in the season. Now Arizona's feeling pretty good about themselves. But most importantly, Arizona made history last night. Well, not Arizona, Tommy Lloyd. With the win, Tommy Lloyd now has 59 career wins as a head coach. 
going into last night, he was tied with Bill Guthridge from North Carolina for most wins by a head coach in their first two seasons. He was tied with him. So now with the win, Tommy Lloyd stands alone as the most wins by a head coach in their first two seasons. So Tommy Lloyd made history, and I was able to uh, talk with him in the post-game press conference, and I asked Tommy Lloyd, what does it mean to have a record like this? Because Tommy Lloyd is a guy who kind of eschews from paying attention to the national accolades. Like Pac-12 player of the year, all Pac-12 team, he's like, I don't really want to talk about it. It's, it's whatever to me. He has that, that saying, I'm a day-to-day, paycheck-to-paycheck, long-neck-to-long-neck type of guy. But even though Tommy Lloyd is you know, the, the easygoing, hey, I'm just focused on the moment kind of guy, making history, like that's nothing to snark at. So I asked Tommy Lloyd, what does it mean to pass Bill Guthridge for most wins by a head coach in their first two seasons? And this is what Tommy Lloyd had to say about that. It's an honor, and I told these guys, I, I honestly, I just want to play tomorrow, and and I'm so proud of these players, you know, for putting me in this position, and you know, and and maybe to 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 you know pass Bill Guthridge, it, it is even a little extra special honor for me because you know I remember, you know, I I had settled in, I, I thought I was never leaving Gonzaga, and I was I was totally okay with that, and and I would tell people, you know, jokingly, hey. I mean, I'll just be the next Bill Guthridge. You know, I'll be, you know, he was Dean Smith's right-hand man. I'll be Mark Few's right-hand man and maybe get a few years to be the head coach at the end of my career. And uh, and then I would have been happy with it. So, um, you know, I think it says something. I think it says something about Coach Guthridge and the loyalty he had and, and, and staying with that program. And, you know, for me to kind of follow that path and, you know, and, and have that loyalty to Gonzaga and to my mentor and, and, and stay with him all those years, I mean, I, I think it's a great formula to follow for a young coach. I mean, you come out of there seasoned. You come out of there maybe more ready, you know, than you expect to be because, you know, you're just learning by osmosis from a great coach every day is, is um, you know, it's it's something that, you know, can't be simulated. And and so, you know, I'm, I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for Mark Few. I'm thankful for Gonzaga. But but most of all, I'm thankful for these dudes, you know, that, that wear the Arizona uniform and then that I get a coach every day. Cool to see Tommy Lloyd have that moment. No, such a class act, world-class human being, and he deserves all the accolades and the attention that he gets. So shout-out to Tommy Lloyd for getting win number 59, now the uh, the winningest head coach in the first two seasons by any college basketball head coach. So Tommy Lloyd, shout-out to you. Um, other news regarding Arizona in their win against Stanford last night, Kirk Risa exited the game with a shoulder injury. And I I feel bad for him because, I mean, he's just got just the worst luck against this team in the Pac-12 tournament. Last year, Kirk Risa suffered an ankle injury. And this was a the type of injury where it can take you anywhere from four to six weeks to fully recover it. I mean, Kirk Risa's ankle was purple. It was swollen. It was a very bad ankle injury. And he came back for the NCAA tournament, missed the, the first round game, but came back for the, the battle against TCU. And TCU, they got a win yesterday in the Big 12 tournament, but they got a whole mess that they're dealing with. Uh, apparently, Big Eddie Lampkin Jr., who gave Arizona fits last season, has stepped away from the team and uh, has alleged head coach Jamie Dixon of abuse. That's a, a story that 
college basketball fans need to look into. Look up Eddie, Eddie Lampkin at TCU. But going back to to Arizona, Kirk Risa, he struggled against Stanford health-wise. Rolled his ankle last year in the Pac-12 tournament. This year with four minutes remaining in the first half, Brandon Angel gives the ball to Harrison Ingram or Spencer Jones. I, I always forget which one it is. But uh, Brandon Angel gave the ball to someone at the top of the key, and they were trying to do a give-and-go. So he hands off the ball. Brandon Angel then rolls to the basket, and Kirk Creesa stops him in his tracks. And on the initial contact, Kirk Creesa gets his right shoulder dislocated. It popped, and you could see him holding his shoulder, and he was favoring it. He was trying so hard not to dribble with that right hand, and they call a timeout or they have a dead ball, and Kirk Kreisa and head trainer Justin Kikoski immediately go to the trainer's room. And they're in the locker room for a little while, and then the Arizona basketball team account tweets that Kirk Kreisa is questionable to return for the second half. And I thought, oh, no. He's going to get injured again severely against the Stanford Cardinal for the second year in a row. And Arizona, they're going to have to deal with the adversity of not having their starting point guard. But Kirk Risa comes back, and we I see him shooting during halftime warm-ups, and he's grimacing. He's struggling so hard to get any shot off, but he still plays in the second half. I've dislocated my shoulder five times playing football. It is not fun. It is It, it sucks. It's a terrible injury. And so I give Kirk Risa a ton of props for toughing it out yesterday and playing through that. Now, he put tape on it, didn't attempt a single shot attempt, but he got fouled. And then when he was at the free throw line, airballed the first free throw and decided, you know what, let me switch it up, let me shoot with my left hand, and then he made the second free throw, immediately puts up his left arm like, you see that? You see that? I did that with my left hand. And I spoke to Kirk Kreese after the game, and he jokingly said, hey, man, I got that clip on me. My left my left arm, I got that clip. No one knows it, no, no one knows about it yet, but I have that thing. And Kirk Kreese, of course, is a big jokester, but I think Tommy Lloyd and company would prefer him not to shoot uh, with his left hand. Uh, but how Kirk Kreese shoots today is something I'm going to monitor. Uh, but, again, Tip the cap to Kirk Risa for toughing out that game last night. And I think uh, he's going to be just fine moving forward. All right, let's go to the phone lines, 719-1490, 719-1490. If you want to talk Arizona Wildcats basketball, March Madness, call in 719-1490. Our good buddy, J.J., is on line one. J.J., great to hear from you. What's on your mind, my friend? What's up, Justin? How you doing? Doing good, man. Good morning to you. Good morning to you. Glad you guys are on the morning show. Yeah, me too, man, uh, because we are the only sports talk show in southern Arizona in the mornings. So I think we're going to have a much bigger audience, and we're very thankful for that. And also, I mean, we're done at 9 a.m., and I have the rest of the day to do whatever I want. So whether it's go play That's a round right. of golf, whether it is, you know, working, whatever, I enjoy being able to wake up early and have the rest of the day to do whatever I want. But anyways – I'm sure you want to talk some college basketball. Yeah, I'm actually headed up to Vegas right now. So uh, I just need to know, man, you've been up there a time or two. I need some good food recommendations. Oh, man. So 
I think that you can't go wrong with uh, this restaurant. It's at Park MGM, and it's called Best Friend. And the last time I went to this restaurant was actually on March 11th, when the uh, March 11th, 2020, when the entire world came to a halt because of you know COVID-19 and all that. But I went to Best Friend, and it's owned by Roy Choi, the legendary award-winning chef. And I swear to you, JJ, I ordered the fried bologna sandwich. And you think, like, fried bologna sandwich, like, what the hell? Why are you ordering that in Las Vegas? <laughs> that was the best fried bologna sandwich I have ever had. It was worth wow. every penny. It's so good. And if the fried bologna sandwich there was great, I can only imagine how the other options are. So Park MGM, it's right across from the arena. Uh, go hit it up. Best friend in Park MGM. All right, man. We're going to hit it up, and uh, we're going to look forward to seeing you at the game tonight. I'm, I'm excited for it, man. Uh, ASU, man, it's the revenge game. And I think That's right. That I like Arizona's chances tonight. I don't think that ASU – I mean, they might keep it competitive. It depends on how they shoot because they kind of have a free-reign offense uh, where they can kind of do whatever they want. If the shots are falling – I know it sounds you know kind of like Captain Obvious and cliche here, but if the shots are falling, ASU is going to have a chance – However, I don't think that's going to be the case, and I think Arizona's going to smother them tonight. No, I agree with you, man. But I appreciate you taking my call, and I hope you uh, hope uh, wish you guys all the best on this uh, next part of your guys' journey. Yeah, man, it's going to be a lot of fun. And, J.J., thank you for being a part of it. We appreciate you, my man. Yeah, the morning show, man, it's going to be, it's going to be a great journey for us. I'm, I'm very excited for that. And like you said, the cool thing about doing the morning show is that we get to come on just hours after a big-time Arizona basketball game. I wish we were able to come on the show tomorrow, but obviously it's Saturday. We're going to be enjoying the weekend. But tonight, Arizona's playing against ASU, and the revenge tour is in full effect for the Arizona Wildcats at the Pac-10 tournament or Pac-12 tournament. We saw them beat Stanford, avenging their loss from earlier in the season, ASU, Desmond Cambridge, he had a great game last night against USC, but Arizona fans do not like Desmond Cambridge because he was the guy who hit the 60-foot half-court shot. I mean, he let go of the ball right on the Lute Olsen signature on the McHale Center floor. Like, that is just all-time disrespectful from the rival, but a great play nonetheless. And he's going to go down in ASU basketball lore forever. But with that being said... Arizona, they've they've wanted this matchup. They didn't want USC. They wanted ASU. They remember how that game in Tucson went. That's going to be in the back of their minds in the revenge tour, full effect. You get Stanford last night. You get ASU tonight. And then possibly UCLA in the Pac-12 championship game. We all remember how that game in Westwood went. So revenge tour in effect for the Arizona Wildcats. I'm very excited for tonight's game at T-Mobile Arena, which starts in uh, – 14 hours, I think, or 13 hours. That's just absolutely gross. Um, but anyways, we'll talk more about that game coming up later this hour. Coming up next on Spears and Ali, very excited to have Dana Scott from the Arizona Republic. He's going to call in to inform us about Kevin Durant's injury and what that means for the Phoenix Suns. Stay tuned. More Spears and Ali coming up next. Spears. Justin Spears, I like that. And Ali. I want to be entertaining, but I'm not stupid enough to compare myself to Ali. We'll be right back on 1490 AM ESPN Tucson. 
If you want all the latest details on what ESPN Tucson has going on, like tickets, alerts, important details, like I said, text ESPN Tucson to 95938 to join the ESPN Tucson Mobile Club. Message of data rates may apply. So Kevin Durant looks like he's out for the next three weeks and will be reevaluated after that, after suffering an ankle injury and warm-ups before his home debut against the Oklahoma City Thunder. But uh, Kevin Durant in Footprint Center, uh, that will wait for a few more weeks. Here to talk about KD's injury is Dana Scott from the Arizona Republic. Dana, good morning. Thank you so much for your time. How's it going? Yeah, great. Thanks for having me on, Justin. Appreciate you. Absolutely, man. Absolutely appreciate you and your and your insight. And you know, it's a bummer for Phoenix Suns fans because they were so excited to watch Kevin Durant play. I know that was the hottest ticket in town to see KD play his first home game, and it was against the team that drafted him, nonetheless, which I thought to be very cool. But man, just a freak injury for Kevin Durant. He rolled his ankle. We'll be reevaluated in three weeks. What do you make of KD's injury, and what have you heard in regards to his recovery? It's a matter of just trying to figure out if it's bad luck uh, for the Suns or if it's the bad luck going against his former team. He actually was supposed to go against his former team on February 24th when they came to the Footprint Center. And that was supposed to be his debut, but then it got pushed back to March 1st against the Hornets on the road, which was the first of their three-game road swing. Uh, but the thing about Kevin is, you know, with his warm-up routine, it just basically just yeah. – I mean, it can happen to anybody. It happened last night. Uh, I saw two Grizzlies player uh, in warm-ups, and it's just – you know, those things just randomly happen when you just turn on your ankle and, you know, if you're uh, on a drive to the basket and you're – or even just uh, walking down the street randomly. I mean, so it's – I think when you have that type of swelling, which is reportedly down, um, then it basically is just takes ice and some elevation and to keep the blood from – you know, keeping the swelling into it and just keeping yourself on, uh, on, on, away from action. So I know he's going to probably be away from some activity, full contact stuff for at least two weeks. You know, those types of ankle roll injuries take about two weeks to recover from. And then they have to check the boxes to see if he's ready for scrimmaging and, you know, in practice and also, non-contact drills so it's basically the rest of the regular season to save him for the playoff run that they're going to do they don't want to rush him back as they didn't rush him back coming from his mcl sprain that he suffered on january 8th against the miami heat when he was still playing for brooklyn so when kevin durant is healthy in the lineup with the phoenix suns what stands out to you because it seems to me that he just elevates everyone like deandre ayton is a walking double-double. Devin Booker, I mean, I know he's red hot right now, and that's you know a big part of just his doing, but KD elevates a player like Devin Booker. So in just the, the glimpse that we saw of Kevin Durant as a Phoenix Sun, how do you evaluate it? Well, they actually make the best duo in basketball off the bat, as Kevin and Devin show, as I like to call it. But you know, with the fact that Devin is kind of asserted himself that this is my team. It reminds me of the situation 
Um, so excuse me for my digression, but it just the, the, what you saw the other night with Devin going off for 30 points by the end of the first half uh, against OKC, it just shows that the offense still runs through him, just like when Kevin was in Oklahoma State, the offense still ran through Steph, uh, as Draymond said, you know, a year or two after Kevin had been in Brooklyn. Um, and so they're still going to go to Devin. They're still going to go to DeAndre. Uh, but when Kevin's on the floor, he does open up so much, especially for the corner threes and with those Kevin and Devin on the wings. Uh, you, there's so much space that he creates, that those guys create, uh, to have so many shots fly in the corner. They're actually, the Phoenix Suns are the leading team in frequency, a uh, corner three frequency at 15.6%, as I read on Cleaning the Glass the other day, and I wrote an article about that and how much you saw that in the Dallas game where Josh Okoge went over 8, but most of his threes are from the corner on spot-up. You saw Ish Wainwright, three of his four threes off the bench were from the three, and Damian Lee, who was six in the league and three-point field goal percentage, he had a three in the corner, and there's, uh, Torrey Craig had a three in the corner. So you're going to see more of that when Kevin comes back, and you saw that in those first three games with Kevin on the floor and just so much that they draw uh, with Kevin and Devin together, or Kevin uh, on the floor and then Devin on the floor uh, without Kevin, that some when they attack those defenses and cause switches and uh, those drop coverages, it, it makes so much uh, space for everybody else to get their spot ups. The offense is not the issue with the Phoenix Suns. I mean, they're going to be putting up 120, 130 points on teams on a consistent basis. I'm more concerned with their defense because the offense, I mean, it's enough to make Mike D'Antoni very jealous. But I'm wondering about the defense. How do you think that it'll hold up against some of the elite teams in the NBA? Well, the I mean, the transition defense is so important. Uh, I think with Josh Okoji, what he does so well, and Okoji does, he's one of the greater uh, players that can cause uh transitions from turnovers that he forces on other teams. So, I mean, he basically gets a block and he'll just go downhill and he'll get players out in the open and you'll see him finish or he'll just take the ball, you know, a defensive rebound and he'll take the ball himself down to the rack. And so that's one thing that Josh Okoji does well as the fifth starter. And I think that Torrey Craig does that well too, where he can cause blocks and just, you know, gets the, the Suns, up the floor so and push the pace because they do consider themselves a pace team, according to Monty Williams, their coach. So what they're going to do is they're very, very keen on getting people out and running and basically to not uh, – hopefully the, the, the defensive rebounding is basically doesn't allow the defenses against them to set up. Uh, and, and so that's what the you know, Suns really pride themselves on. And that where they can set up shots uh, and transition and make shots so they can set up their own defense. So that's what we're going to see more of. And I think that the, with the new uh, additions, like Terrence Ross, who's played very well off the bench uh, as a, their backup wing to Devin Booker. And, I mean, they call him the human torch. So when they get in transition and he's hitting threes and he's on, um, then they're basically going to be able to set up their defense uh, in the – yeah, after they hit shots and after Devin hit shots. And Chris Paul's been shooting very well, too, uh, as he's been more open. So 
that's another thing to look out for as he's actually starting to hit at a higher clip at 41% this month, uh, which is better than his 21% or 22% in February as from three. Dana, before we let you go, I got to get, get your take on this whole Draymond Green, Dylan Brooks beef uh, between the, uh, <laughs> the Memphis Grizzlies and the Golden State Warriors. It's like, a soap opera. It, I mean, it's like Batman and Joker. It's like Brooks Kepka and Bryson DeChambeau. These two guys absolutely despise each other. It's very entertaining, but I got to side with Draymond Green. What's your opinion on this beef? Yeah, well, the Draymond thing is, is these, this is the new media that Draymond was talking about that he's a part of, right? So it's like when you wear that hat, then you got to basically uh, be, you know, you, you, you got to have a guy who's going to want to beat you and Draymond is a four-time NBA champion and they got a guy who's young and who wants to basically come for the come for the head uh, of, of the defensive snake that is Golden State so I think with Draymond he's not a defense he's not an offensive threat like he used to be um, but he has he's the guy who's the most vocal and Dr- Dylan Brooks is kind of the guy who as uh, the vocal the side. And what I also look at, too, is, a, you know, in terms of the cultural thing, not many people are, they, they, they might not point this out, but the colorism aspect, too, between Dylan Brooks. So you got the light skinned dude versus the dark skinned dude, and, you know, you got this <laughs> kind of undercurrent of, you know, guy who's basically trying to show up him in, in terms of aggression versus the guy who's talking um, and, and saying that you can't have a, a rivalry. Or, or dynasty when you basically don't have you know you, you you're not really the the guy everything comes after you not from you so I I look at it in that way too from a a colorism context you know because it's just a matter of well I can say that because I'm a brother so you know I mean <laughs> I'm just saying that I just know this from my own experience on the basketball court. Um, and uh, I also think that it's just a matter of somebody trying to prove their youth versus experience, but also in terms of, uh, you know, the, the light skin trying to prove that they're just as aggressive, if not tougher than the dark skin dude who's more experienced and has more rings and basically coming for uh, the shooting for the top of the food chain there with Golden State. I just I side with Draymond Green because you know following Pac-12 basketball I remember Dylan Brooks flopping at Oregon, it was one of the worst flops I've ever seen in basketball. Like you can just look it up, Dylan Brooks flopped yeah. Oregon, it's absolutely terrible. So I side with Draymond Green in this beef. But uh, Dana, we actually got to go to a commercial break. Man, always a pleasure talking basketball with you. We appreciate you and your insight. That is Dana Scott from the Arizona Republic. Make sure you follow him on Twitter and check out his work on the Phoenix Suns this season at azcentral.com slash sports. Dana, you the man. Always appreciate you. Yeah, thank you, Justin. Always a pleasure. Thanks, guys. Thank you. I, man, I love Dana. Uh, great voice, great insights. Uh, we're very lucky to have him as a frequent guest here on ESPN Tucson. Uh, speaking of frequent guests, Brendan Deeg, he comes on a lot to talk about the National Football League. We're going to talk to him about Aaron Rodgers possibly, no, not possibly, most likely joining the New York Jets. Plus, we'll also weigh in on the whole Lamar Jackson situation. We're talking NFL right here on Spears and Ali.
I just I, I just threw an interception in the middle of the game. And I'm like running off the field, like damn it, shouldn't have thrown that. And I get I get benched, yeah. and then Ollie comes in and throws like back to back interceptions. <laughs> right. It's like see, it's just that kind of game, man. That's for you, we're bro. All, we're all That's for picks. you, bro. We're all picks yeah. Today. Now get back in there <laughs> and take my job. <laughs> for some reason, the music didn't play. <laughs> all right, hey, we're back. Spears and Ali, ESPN Tucson, 1490 AM, 94.9 HD. Channel 4. We're live from Las Vegas. Appreciate all of uh, those who have tuned in here on our first week on the morning shift. Uh, normally, when we talk to Brendan Deeg about the NFL, it's usually in the afternoon. For the first time, Brendan Deeg is joining us in the morning, and he's going to talk about Aaron Rodgers, Lamar Jackson, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, Brendan, how's it going, my man? going on, guys? Love that you guys got the morning show. Congratulations on the new time slot. And NFL offseason is underway, baby. Yeah, man, it's uh, we love being in the mornings and NFL offseason, like you said, man, it's a very exciting time. And a lot of people are wondering, hey, what the hell's going on with Aaron Rodgers and the New York Jets? They flew all the way from New York to California and stopped by Aaron Rodgers house in Malibu, had great discussions. And now it appears that the New York Jets are closing in on acquiring Aaron Rodgers. What do you make of Aaron Rodgers? following his predecessor's steps and going from the Green Bay Packers to the New York Jets? So I think this means Jordan Love will be the New York Jets quarterback in 2038, right? Is that how, is that how this works? That's how it works, um, man. But uh, I, think this is, uh, I think this is happening. I think it's going to happen over the next few days. Um, all signs point to that. So like you said, Woody Johnson, Jets officials, flew to California. That included Robert Sala. That included the offensive coordinator, uh, new offensive coordinator, Daniel Hackett. So they, it's all hands on deck to try to get Aaron Rodgers in, um, in the Big Apple. I, I, I'm, I'm confident this is going to happen, like I said. And I, I think it's best for both sides here. The Green Bay Packers will have to eat um, just over $40 million in dead cap if they were to trade. Aaron Rodgers, which, again, is not ideal, but I do think it is, I think it's just best for both sides to kind of bite the bullet, rip off the Band-Aids, and, and, and get a new uh, get a new start, or a fresh start, sorry, for both sides. That $40 million is going to bite them for this year, but Jordan Love, you got to see what uh, you got to see what he's got. And I think it works out for the New York Jets as well. They're in a division now that's continuing to get better. That division's getting harder year by year. The New, York, the New England Patriots are going to be very active in free agency this year. They're going to have a better roster. And the Jets are have no quarterback right now. So I think it's a perfect fit for both sides. But it's going to be very interesting because, like, we know how Aaron Rodgers is. He's not the greatest with the media and whatnot. And there isn't a bigger media market in the NFL than New York. So how much of this is – the New York, or excuse me, the Green Bay Packers wanting to start the Jordan Love era versus we're done with Aaron Rodgers. He's been way too dramatic over the last couple of years. We don't want to go into every single offseason wondering, is he coming back? What's his plan? How much of it is Aaron Rodgers and how much of it is Jordan Love being the next guy in line? Um, I, I think it's. I think the Packers really want to kind of move on. Like, I, I do believe that if Aaron Rodgers did want to come back, they're kind of strapped to bring him back. But my guess is there's a lot of talk in, in uh, inside Packers um, front office that they're like, we're, we're completely fine with moving off. Like, um, go take that trade. We'll, we'll, we'll be okay. And it's just the Packers are kind of not in Super Bowl contending mode. The NFC is very weak. And I do think even without Aaron Rodgers, the Green Bay Packers can't compete for a playoff spot next year, uh, even with that $40 million cap that I do believe is that the youngest sending guys on the offense. 
um, and Romeo Dobbs and Christian Watson. Jordan Love looks pretty good um, in, in playing last year. He, he came into a game against the Philadelphia Eagles, I believe it was a Thursday night football game, and he played really well against the, the Super Bowl defense. So um, I, I think it's kind of both sides pushing this. I don't think the Packers are going are gonna to blink at a trade. And I do believe Aaron Rodgers probably wants a fresh start. This, this relationship has probably hit its peak. Brenda Deeg, football editor from The Score, joining Spears and Ali on ESPN at Tucson. So AFC, I mean, if Aaron Rodgers goes to the New York Jets, that's just another big name that's joining the AFC. Who's left in the NFC? Who's like the, the upper echelon of NFC quarterbacks? So I think I, I'm – I think Jalen Hurts is the best quarterback in the NFC now. Even with Aaron Rodgers in the NFC, you can probably still make that argument. But, man, the NFC is, is completely wide open for teams. I, I think the top teams in the NFC heading into next year are the, the San Francisco 49ers, Philadelphia Eagles, and Dallas Cowboys. So I don't think that has changed from last year. There's still a lot of time left. There's going to be a lot of moves coming up over the next couple weeks and, of course, the NFL draft. So, yeah, the, the AFC is stacked with quarterbacks. Aaron Rodgers goes there. Lamar Jackson stays in Baltimore. Like you can make the argument like eight or nine of the top ten quarterbacks in the NFL are in the AFC conference, which is crazy. And it, it kind of opens the door for NFC teams to make moves and make a run. So one of those AFC teams I'm curious about is the Las Vegas Raiders. Hey, we're in Las Vegas right now doing the show. Uh, but, you know, the Raiders, are they looking to possibly get Jimmy Garoppolo? Could they possibly make a, a deal for Lamar Jackson? I'm curious what direction they go at quarterback. What say you? I think the best outcome for the Raiders right now is to draft the quarterback. Look, Josh McDaniels has taken over this offense and this base in this team. It doesn't look like he's going to be out the door anytime soon. The Raiders have kind of been a revolving door with head coaches and kind of chaos. It sounds like they really like Josh McDaniels, and he's going to be the head coach there for the long run. So why not start fresh? They are in the top 10 of the NFL draft, and there's four quarterbacks that can go in the top 10. So I think the best outcome for the Raiders is – to maybe trade up. I, I'm assuming they're going to have to trade up to get one of the top four quarterbacks, and they're in and they're in prime spot to do so. And I think this is a great team for a young quarterback to go to. Like young quarterbacks don't usually get dropped onto an offense with Josh McDaniels as a play caller, Hunter Renfro, Darren Waller, and Devontae Adams. Besides, usually young quarterbacks start with not a lot around them. So this is, a, in my opinion, a perfect landing spot for any young quarterbacks, and any young quarterback should be happy to go there. Um, to start his career. So that, I think that's the most likely outcome, and I do believe that's where they're, they're going to go. I, the Jimmy Garoppolo thing, I guess, kind of makes sense with the connection with McDaniels and, and Jimmy G from his time in New England, and they need a quarterback, right? They don't have one with Derek Carr leaving. But I, I, in my opinion, I think the best kind of uh, best-case scenario for the Raiders is they draft a quarterback, get younger, build, get someone in the building that's younger they can build around, and go from there. I, I think the veteran market, um, it would be a mistake for the Las Vegas Raiders. All right, Brendan, I have a number of players that I have listed here, and I'm going to mention it to you, and you're going to tell me which team they're going to play for in 2023. Let's start off with the big one. All right, hit me. Lamar Jackson, who's he playing for? So uh, I'm so torn on this. I, I, I think it's still 50-50 if he comes back or not. I think the most likely outcome, like I'm going to – like I keep going back and forth. I keep thinking like one day he's going to get traded, one day he's not. It's so close. But today, I'm meaning that he's probably back in Baltimore. 
Um, if they do, if a team does matter, try to sign an offer sheet for them, I think the Ravens will match. If he does get traded, like I do want to push back on the fact that they'll get two first-round picks from him, and that's how it's going to go. The Ravens can still negotiate a trade outside of the, the franchise tag. So if the Ravens were to trade him, I don't believe it will just be for the two first-round picks. But I'm going to go with he's staying in Baltimore. But, man, it's really close. Like This can go any, this can go any direction, and it could go for a long time. Like This could last into training camp right now. I, I'm I'm so confused by the situation, so baffled that it's kind of gotten to this point. But um, I, I'm, gonna, I'm for this for this question. I'm going to stick with that he's going to stay in Baltimore. All right, here's a wild card. How about Baker Mayfield? Where is he playing? Uh, Baker Mayfield. Yeah. I think LA. I think LA makes sense. Yeah, okay. I think he goes back there. Um, there's rumors yesterday that Matthew Stafford is on the trade market. I think Baker Mayfield just makes sense going back to L.A. and then stick with Sean McVay. Kind of, I use it as like a reclamation project. See if you can get some. Uh, see if you can get something uh, something out of him, and you like you the first uh, former first overall pick. So I think that that those two sides just make sense. I don't think Baker is going to be pushing for a starting spot. Like even if Matthew Stafford does come back, I think he'll be fine backing him up. And that that marriage just worked well last year, and I think it stays put. All right. Lastly, before we let you go, how about DeAndre Hopkins? Okay, so there's a few destinations that this, this DeAndre Hopkins makes makes sense. I would be absolutely shocked if he's back in Arizona. I am pretty confident he's going to get dealt. There's two teams that come to mind. The first one is the Chicago Bears. Now, the Bears aren't really kind of in contending mode to win next year, but DeAndre Hopkins is still only 30 years old. He's still got high-level wide receiver play in him. So he's a guy that if you trade for, or if you trade for if you're the Chicago Bears, you can think to yourself, he'll be a, he'll be a huge part of his offense going forward in 2024 and 2025. So you kind of think to the future there. The Bears have all the cap space in the world. They have a ton of assets to work with. Justin Fields needs like just a ball winner. The problem with it, a big reason why Fields' passing game and um, struggled last year is he just didn't trust any of his receivers. He didn't have any guys he can go so that offense and make sense. The other team I'd keep an eye on for DeAndre Hopkins, I'll give you two actually, both in the AFC East. I'll start with kind of the, the least fun one, which is the New England Patriots. I do think the Patriots are going to be active in the trade market and free agency this year. The New England Patriots right now have $31 million in cap space and they can create a lot more. They're in the top 10 in cap space. I'm assuming Bill Belichick is sick and tired of being stuck in mediocrity land. He's going to try to win this year or next year. He's not getting any older. Like His time to go is now, and I'm assuming the Patriots are going to be making moves. The next one, which would be the fun one, and this one I've been kind of thinking about the last couple of days, is the Buffalo Bills. I, I think the Buffalo Bills are sick and tired of losing in division rounds, and they want to go win now. They've got Josh Allen in his prime. Stephon Diggs is really is, is a really num- good number one receiver, but how fun would it be to drop DeAndre Hopkins in that offense with Gabe Davis and Stephon Diggs, like you've got probably the best offense in the NFL with those three guys and Josh Allen running the show. I think that's a fun one to keep an eye on. Brendan Deeg, NFL editor from The Score and host of the Double Doink podcast, joining Spears and Ali on ESPN Radio. Be sure to follow him on Twitter today and check out his coverage of the National Football League on thescore.com. Brendan, you're the man. Always appreciate you and your insight. Appreciate you guys. Have a good one. Thank you. You too. All right, one last segment from beautiful Las Vegas. Don't go anywhere. More Spears and Ali coming up next. Spears. Justin Spears, I like that. And Ali. I want to be entertaining, but I'm not stupid enough to compare myself to Ali. We'll be right back on 1490 AM ESPN Tucson. It's Friday, baby, and you are listening 
to Spears and Ali on ESPN Tucson. One week of the morning shift in the books. We made the the move from weekday afternoons, 3 to 6 p.m., to 7 to 9 a.m. It's been a interesting change, but I think it's a change for the better. I'm very excited for this next chapter of Spears and Ali on ESPN Tucson. We're the only sports talk show, sports morning talk show in Southern Arizona. And we hope that we continue to be the official morning sports show in Southern Arizona, talking the latest in Arizona Wildcats, Phoenix Suns, Arizona Diamondbacks, et cetera. Uh, it's going to be great. You know, and Ali is a great friend of mine. I consider that guy family. Andrew Trujillo has, you know, been there since day one. I consider him family. And we're going to have a lot of fun. Let's just say that. And so here's to the first week of Spears and Ali. We didn't get every single show in studio. Of course, you know, we would love to be in Tucson, Arizona. But for the Thursday and the Friday show, Ali and myself uh, were out here in beautiful Las Vegas for the Pac-12 tournament. So uh, first week of the mornings, and we already are doing shows outside of state lines. So uh, very exciting stuff right there. But today is Friday, and with that being said, it's a great day to go to ESPNTucson.com because ESPN Tucson has great deals for you from local businesses. Right now, you can find half-off deals from Bookstore, Southwest Adult Shop, Allure Medical, Miller Surplus, The Landing, and more. Find out the latest half-price Friday deals and save some money seven days a week at ESPNTucson.com. So tonight we got Arizona versus ASU in the Pac-12 tournament semifinals. And in case you forgot, the Arizona Wildcats lost to ASU in McHale Center thanks to a 60-foot half-court buzzer beater by Desmond Cambridge, who had a great game against uh, USC last night. Uh, finished with, I think it was like 22 points or 24 points, uh, was 6-for-12 from three-point range. So he's shooting well right now, and he's going to be the, the name that everyone at T-Mobile Arena is booing. Arizona fans, I know every single time that Desmond Cambridge touches the ball, they're just going to go all in on him. But, hey, a great moment for him. You know, Desmond Cambridge will go down for in Arizona ASU basketball lore forever. They will be playing that shot over and over again uh, for, uh, you know, as long as ASU is a basketball program, they're always going to be replaying that shot. It's a great highlight. But with that being said, Arizona, they learn from their mistakes. This season, they lose to Utah. What do they do? Bounce back against them at McHale Center. We saw last night. They lost to Stanford in Palo Alto. What do they do? They turned around and gave the Cardinal a good old thumping, and they did so by dominating them in points in the paint. Arizona had 54 points in the paint. Stanford had 22. That wasn't the case in Palo Alto. Stanford, they were plus 18 in paint points. So Tommy Lloyd, his staff, the personnel on this team, they figure out losses. And that loss to ASU is still pretty fresh in the mind. They remember Desmond Cambridge hitting that shot. They remember Bobby Hurley and company acting like, acting like absolute fools by winning that game. So... In step two of this revenge tour in the Pac-12 tournament, I like the Arizona Wildcats to win. Last time I checked, Arizona's favored by seven in the Pac-12 tournament. 
I like the Wildcats to win and cover, setting up another potential revenge game against UCLA in the Pac-12 Tournament Championship. So I'm excited. Tonight, Arizona versus ASU, tip-off set for 9.30 p.m. I'll be out there at T-Mobile Arena. Appreciate you guys for listening.